Hello and welcome back to another edition of Humanitarian AI Today, a podcast series produced by Humanitarian AI meetup groups in Cambridge, San Francisco, Seattle, New York City, Toronto, Montreal, London, Paris, Berlin, Oslo, Geneva, Zurich, Bangalore, Tel Aviv, and Tokyo. I'm Isabella. I'm a postdoctoral associate at MIT Sloan School of Management, and I'm a former researcher assistant at the MIT Media Lab. Today, I'm going to guest host an interview with Andre Heller Perash. Director of Signpost Project at the International Rescue Committee. Welcome, Andre. Your background is in humanitarian operations. And for our listeners, would you like to introduce yourself and give us an overview of the types of roles that you filled? Yeah, I'd be delighted to. Thank you so much, Isabella and Brent. I've been working in the aid sector for about 15 years. I worked with Doctors Without Borders, Médecins Sans Frontières, for 12 years doing fieldwork in largely conflict areas and outbreaks of infectious disease, usually the two of them overlapping, for about 10 years of sort of frontline work and uh, worked in London as the head of programs for a few years as well. And took a break, worked in some startups, some early stage technology companies and saw the good, the bad and the ugly, and then found my way back to the aid sector with the IRC I worked at first with the Ebola response in the Congo, and then I took on this role as Signpost, which leveraged a bit of those tech experiences, uh, and now running this really interesting, wonderful project called Signpost. It's a consortium project that is led by the IRC. Great. Well, thank you so much for that introduction. Last year, Alexandra Pittman from Impact Mapper guest hosted an interview with one of her colleagues, Liam Nicole on the podcast, who told us about Signpost work. For anyone who hasn't checked out the interview yet, can you tell us how Signpost got started and uh, what your team focuses on doing? The Signpost project started in 2015 as a response to the influx of a mixed migratory flow of many refugees, asylum seekers, coming into Greece and Italy through the Mediterranean route. Signpost was launched as an information response to help people solve really difficult problems that they were facing with their journey and to help them make critical decisions about how their futures would take shape. Oftentimes, people are forced to make huge life-changing decisions with very incomplete information. And sometimes the information and the know-how to get things done is sort of deliberately hidden in some contexts where political interests would like to manipulate an outcome in one way or another. So Signpost was born out of a need to scale work that was complex related to information and people's needs. And so we took to social media and web-based assets to help guide people's journeys and help really equip people with the knowledge and know-how to navigate and make really hard critical choices. Signpost was tested in Greece first, in proof concept again in the Americas in El Salvador and Honduras. And at that point, I joined the project and we decided that we would scale it and we'd scale our work globally, that we had seen that it had a viability in different use cases with different types of populations, whether they be migrants and asylum seekers or, say, victims of gang and domestic violence or those who are displaced from armed conflict. So we scaled our work into a number of new countries and COVID happened all the while, which did a couple of things. One was got people more used to working remotely and doing forms of aid that were digital. And the other thing was 
that a lot of the uh, health advice and information really emerged as something so important to the overall outcome of, a, of an aid response. So people really started understanding to what extent information really matters in the world. And so that sort of boosted our work. And since then, we've grown from a small proof of concept in 2015 to what's now a program that, that is operating in 20 countries and soon to be 30 countries on five continents and, and still growing, though there's a lot going on with signposts these days and there's a lot to be excited about. Well, that's amazing. And the growth you guys had is absolutely impressive. And definitely I can see why information is key when making very, very difficult life decisions. And a lot of the time, this is what people don't have in order to make these decisions. So that's amazing. In terms of scaling Signpost, where have you been expanding the project lately? And where do you see yourselves heading in 2024? Right now, we're in the process of opening in a number of new countries. We're opening in partnership, an organization in Dominican Republic for the many Haitians who are coming over the border. In Peru, we're opening a program in partnership with another local agency there to support largely Venezuelans who are kind of on the move throughout the region. We're opening in Mali, uh, Nigeria, Libya, Yemen, Thailand, Uganda, and more um, it's uh, a lot of openings that are going on right now. Um, what has happened is that we are at sort of the end of a large growth spurt, not the end of it, rather. We're at a point of inflection. We're in the, the middle of a large growth spurt. And we're now essentially looking at our program, which was this kind of scrappy proof of concept to a rapidly scaling program and kind of having a gut check about this global footprint that we have today we've developed a, a digital architecture that is global it's you know we have programming in soon to be in 30 countries and we're looking now towards the future and wondering where we're going to be in three years and where we need to be in three years the information piece is only getting more important particularly with the advent of generative ai you know the the terms mis and disinformation are not new to any of us. They emerged in the, the information marketplace through social media a number of years ago. But everyone knows that this is only going to accelerate. Um, the amount of trust that people have in media is less and less all the time. Now with deep fakes and you know, these images that uh, some of the Gen AIs are making and questions about authenticity and chain of custody of these images and changes to them that have been made. Um, so we feel a real need to continue to expand our work, to have community-driven information services, that's to say information services that create content on a basis of the information needs of people who are facing crises. That's what we do at Signpost. And we feel a real urgency to continue expanding, and not because we think that we're great and smart and we like our program, but because the pressure is really on to to reduce harm that's happening in the world today that is related to information. And like, while the needs will continue to rise as the number of displaced people in the world continues to grow with conflict and climate change, the need to do this harm reduction work by getting ahead of all of the poor applications of, of AI and mis and disinformation is really important. And so we feel the pressure in our project to continue this growth to do as much good as possible for the many people that need it and to do it with the greatest efficiency possible and at the greatest scale possible, but also as a, as a measure of harm reduction to try to get out ahead of this thing and do it right. And it's really a time right now where 
with all of the changes in tech, everyone kind of feels like we really need to pump the brakes on this thing and it's all moving way too fast. But at the same time, we're like faced with this feeling of needing to speed up and rise to the occasion at the same time. So it's this sort of mixed environment of wanting to do good, but also like wanting to avoid all the pitfalls and perils um, that are out there as well. Well, now that you bring up generative AI, of course, there's a huge buzz around um, how people are using generative AI in many of these large language models that power applications like ChatGPT, BART, and so on. And you did mention disinformation and misinformation, but do you see any potential uses for large language models within your organization or your data to help others? Absolutely. We're in the early stages of building a project that will be testing them. We have, you know, I don't know, right now we're, we, we have a priority list of six different applications of generative AI that we want to test. And we're in the process of putting together a, an environment wherein we can do research and try to better understand the chain of custody of data and the safety of it and see which models, which forms of working with AI will be helpful whether it would be um, the AI working directly with people or, or creating information products directly itself, or whether there's a human in the loop or a human on the loop. Um, we want to produce as much data as possible about all of these things and offer that data to the world to look at and sort of share our learnings. And for models, both programming models or programmatic models, let's just say personnel models, and the LLMs, for the ones that show promise, we hope to pilot those and then scale them if those pilots prove successful. But like right now, we're maybe we're in the, in the earliest stages possible of all of this. And so what I'm talking about is where our thinking is um, right now. And we're putting resources to it. We're getting there, but it is very early stages. This is where I think we're going with the AI work right now. So that's how we see that. Honestly, today we're almost at a point where we can say we have, I think that today we have an average of 750,000 users a month of our content. But in the future, as we continue to project greater displacement in the world, and as we continue to grow our program, we're gonna just need to be thinking a whole order of magnitude larger than what we are today. It's our goal to work more broadly in the, the markets, if you will, in the, the markets where we work, and it's our goal to expand into more. And it's our goal to partner with more organizations and help enable and empower them through some of the tools and methods that we have. Um, so yeah, it, it's a point of inflection for us. And so those efficiency gains um, or the improvement in quality of, of the work that we might be able to offer in the future are really important for us to capture. So Andre, you've talked about the potential uses of large language models within Signpost your data. Could you be a little bit more specific in terms of what areas of application are you guys thinking? A direct kind of simple use case that I can think of is translation, especially when you're working with migrants across many different geographies from many different cultural backgrounds. But in addition to translation and content generation, do you have any other specific applications that you're trying to develop at Signpost? What we need to do before we use anything as de-risk it. And so that's the biggest question for us is how can you use any of these things without causing harm, whether directly or inadvertently? And for us, that is the absolute number one biggest question. 
there are going to be huge experiments taking place in companies, you know, across the private sector, you know, in the US and Europe and elsewhere in the world. And it's just going to take off. I think a lot of people will be tempted to just apply solutions to the aid sector and working with extremely vulnerable populations, we really have to ensure that we are doing no harm first and foremost. And for us, irrespective of whatever the application is, if it's touching clients, as to say the vulnerable people that the aid sector tries to help, if it's touching them, it really needs to be de-risked. And so first and foremost, it is absolutely a huge priority to ensure that we're doing no harm. And we take that very seriously. That's from a data perspective. It's from a like greater questions about algorithms and what you know interests they serve. And it's also in terms of what exactly what they're producing and interacting with, with humans. Whether that interaction is through a chatbot um, that's like in WhatsApp or on a website or chatting through Facebook or whatever, or if it's uh, content that would be produced um, and that would live somewhere in a static way. Whatever those things are, they also need to be de-risked um, as well. And they need to make sure that these are good and solid and at value and somehow complement the work of humans that, that put this together. The work with generative AI will only ever be as good as the data that is fed into the model also. And often in the places that we work at Signpost, there is no content produced on the questions and the problems that people have. It does not exist. Someone has to make it. And that is what our teams do. And so how is it that they can leverage some of this new tech to improve efficiency, to skip some steps in the process, to produce more? We're not quite sure yet, and we're going to test those models. So the content generation, yes. Driving insights from natural language that's shared with us, if done safely, like what could those insights tell us? How could they help influence policy and practice? How can they make our work better? How can we uh, have faster responses for people who are in precarious situations? And uh, how can we maybe guide people through information better? Maybe we could help uh, kind of create tours of different possibilities and options and how you can do things. Ultimately, I think that we're also going to have to ask the question of, of using voice and how do we expand even more our reach, maybe through phone services and free numbers and things like this. There's really so many different directions and so many ways that we could leverage this. We have to just figure out what's safe and what's helpful, what has like direct, clear benefit. The point of researching this stuff and talking about it also is that we, we don't just want to talk about the tech in a vacuum, but we want to talk about the human element of it and like how you actually set up programs that help people. So not just what was the model, where did it live, what environment it was in, how did you plug it into the thing? Like that's all really nice, but we also need that side of the information that is related to how do you run a program using this? Like what did the humans in this program actually do with the files that they put into the machine uh, in a certain way that then helps them do their job? And that's a lot of the information that isn't readily available to. So, I, I mean, there's just a rapidly changing landscape that's filled with potential and peril, and there's really no guidance you know, out there in terms of what to do with it. So we're trying to get out in front of it, and we're going to do our best to do so. And hopefully this time next year, we'll have a lot of exciting things to talk about. Well, I mean, being able to deploy these tools correctly and making sure that they do no harm and doing risk mitigation, it's such a huge, huge challenging task. So I can only imagine all the work that you're doing behind the scenes to try to come up with something that, you know, is helpful, but at the same time safe, especially for the vulnerable populations that you work with. 
So, you know, all of the work that you're doing sounds absolutely exciting and amazing. And I can't wait to hear from you what you guys are up to in the next couple of months. Isabella, if you don't mind my asking, I understand that you're doing some really innovative and powerful work related to the future of work. And you know, this is something that we wonder about an awful lot at Signpost. And we engage with a lot of people who are themselves, you know, on the move, trying to find a means to sustain themselves and their families. Can you tell us a little bit about what you do? I'd love to hear about it. Yeah, of course. So in my work, I basically am trying to help people have more information and make better decisions about how to plan their careers in the context of automation and the context of all these changes that we're currently undergoing with technology. So basically, of course, I don't just focus on migrants, but migrants are a big part of it, right? Because especially when you arrive to a new place, you don't have the same network that locals may have. So you might have a harder time trying to find a job and also trying to understand what type of job is suitable for you based on your skills. So I have uh, probably like four different projects. Perhaps the one that is most relevant to our current discussion is uh, one project that we're doing with gig workers, because obviously a lot of migrants, since they might not have the right paperwork to be able to join the labor force formally, and they have to do these types of works which, where they might be underhired and they might not be able to plan careers as you would when you have a more traditional job. Um, so what we're trying to do right now is actually trying to measure the impact of gig work on your career trajectory and see how engaging in different types of gig work, whether it be food delivery or ride hailing or maybe more um, cognitive gig work, affects your skill portfolio and how that will affect your probabilities of being able to move up in the career ladder, if you would. So that's one of the things that we're doing right now. Of course, we're using data from sources like LinkedIn and Burning Glass data, which uh, helps us understand how these types of workers transition in and out of gig work in the U.S. alone. But it would also be very interesting to understand these dynamics in other contexts like developing countries. For example, in, in Colombia, where I'm from, a huge number of Venezuelan migrants are working as delivery people with this very large company called Rappi. So it would be very interesting for us to see how this actually affects, either affects or potentializes their possibilities for a better life and their careers in the future. So I think that would be very interesting. And then another thing that I will say very quickly is a lot of the literature on the future of work has been uh, focused on trying to understand which jobs are going to go away based on AI and uh, automation. And actually what we want to do now is measure the flip side of that. We don't want to say, hey, these jobs are going to go away. Don't go there. We want to say, hey, these are the resilient jobs. These are the jobs that are unlikely to be automated. So this is where you should go because it's easier to have more of a guideline as to where you should go as opposed to, well, I shouldn't go here. But if I don't go here, where should I go next? And we're trying to measure how resilient jobs are going to be based on a framework that we developed called Epoch. So all the jobs that have to do with empathy, physical presence, which is not just about, you know, being present in the factory to push a button, but that require a lot of physical human to human interaction, um, opinion and judgment. Like you mentioned very, very eloquently, we need to be able to discern what is, you know, correct output, good output and discern between misinformation and potential hallucinations that large language models are going to be outputting in the future. So opinion and judgment, creativity, uh, I know that one is up for the for debate, and H, 
which is, I think, also quite relevant to our discussion, which is hope. Some of the jobs that we do today require a lot of hope, and we think that that is something that is very, very difficult to automate. So based on these five features, we're trying to use large language models to measure which jobs are going to be the most resilient against automation and telling people, hey, this is where you should go in the next couple of years. And that's it. That's fantastic. <laughs> I, I guess we're both in the hope business somewhere then, aren't we? Yeah. <laughs> yes. Um, yes. But um, anyway, thank you so much for coming on the podcast. All the work you do is absolutely fascinating. And I'm happy to know that there is somebody who's so passionate about their work, you know, working to help others and serving others, because that's one of the reasons why I became a data scientist, because I think that, you know, science can be put at the service of humanity. And it always makes me so happy to hear from people that are serving others. So before we close... We would like to ask all of our guests to think of a futuristic AI application they would love to see exist and describe it for us. And uh, I wanted to ask you, what would you love to see? Me personally? You want to yes. hear what you want? Yes, you. Oh, um, the most annoying thing in the whole world is constantly battling with scheduling. Like, can someone <laughs> please make the AI bot that's just going to schedule stuff for me? because it drives me totally nuts. I need that thing desperately. Technology is supposed to solve pain points. And I would say that hurts a lot. Um, Isabella, what technology would you like to see happen in the future, noting that you can think of anything? Um, well, given that we're thinking about, about work and the future of work, I mean, this might not be very sci-fi, but I would love to be able to have an application to tell me you know, even you know, when I was young, like I want to become a fashion designer. How do I do that? How do I get there? What are the skills that I need? Where are the you know stops along the way that I have to make? And I think that would be amazing because a lot of the time, what blows my mind is, for example, at least in, in Colombia, for example, when you start university, you need to declare a major right away. So basically, when you're 17, you're making this huge decision for yourself. And so like. What do you want to do for the rest of your life? And you're just 17. And it's like, okay. Um, so I would love to be able to and visualize it because I personally am a very visual person. So I think that would be one of the things where I would love to have that. That's fantastic. All right. Well, it's been a pleasure speaking with you, Andre. All of your work is very, very inspiring. And I can't wait to see what the future holds for you and Signpost. And this brings us to a close in this edition of Humanitarian AI today. So thank you, Andre, so much for being on the podcast. Thank you so much. And it's been such a pleasure sharing the space with you and learning about your inspiring work too. Thank you so much.